This morning we'll find our scripture reading, first of all, from the Old Testament, uh, from the book of Genesis, chapter 25, the verses 19 through 34. Genesis 25, we'll begin reading God's word of verse 19 through the verse 34. So this is a story dealing with uh, Esau, or Jacob and Esau, and their birth. So begin at verse 19 of Genesis 25. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were, two, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand uh, took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when he bore them. And so the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with the same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? And then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So far from reading from Genesis, let's turn to Malachi, the, the first chapter. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, so it should be easy enough to find. And our text will be the, the first five verses of chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Here we read God's word. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I've loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, In what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste to his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
They may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. So far, a reading from God's holy word. Brothers, sisters of our Lord in Jesus Christ, you know that Malachi is the last prophet sent by God to the people of Israel before the coming of the Lord Jesus. Malachi probably lived around 400 years before the Lord Jesus came to this world. It's interesting that the very first word that God speaks through his servant Malachi is the word love. I have loved you. It's one word in the Hebrew, the very first word. When we think about love, you can say that God's love is an important theme uh, throughout the Old uh, Testament. Even though many people would think the Old Testament is a God of hatred, a God of war, uh, and an angry God, yet the theme of the Old Testament is the theme of love. Remember the Lord God came to his people Israel at Mount Sinai. And what did he do there? He declared his love for his people. He said, I'm the Lord your God who, who delivered you out of Egypt. Or you, you think sometime before Malachi, God sent the prophet Hosea. And Hosea is all about love in spite of the fact that he marries a prostitute. Yet he continually woos her. And so God says, so I continually show my love uh, to my uh, people uh, Israel. And so all of God's dealings with his people Israel, it was always done out of his love. Love is... Something that we all like to talk about, right? Everybody talks about love, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. We know that everybody says, you know, we shouldn't hate, and so governments have passed uh, laws to deal with hate crimes because hate is wrong and bad, and love is good. But the question we need to ask is this, is what is love and what is hate? The people already in the days of Malachi are just as confused about love as people are today when they talk about love, because really, what is it? You see, the people of Israel back in the days of Malachi, they, they say to the Lord God, he says, you know, God, if, if you really love us, then you will give us everything that, that we want. You'll give us what we, what we desire. And so, already in Israel, love is defined in terms of what I expect somebody else to give to me. And if you do not give me what I want or what I think I need, then you do not love me. And if you disagree with me, if you think that what I am doing is, is wrong, then you don't love me, you hate me. If you tell me that having an abortion is sinful, that is wrong, that is hateful speech. If you tell me that my sexual choice is against the very will of God and the way that God has created me, then you're being hateful towards me. 
And so today, people consider love to mean that we affirm the choices that other people want to make in their lives. And so you know, people often will say to, to other people, oh, it's so great, isn't it? so great that, that, you're being authentic, that you're being authentic and that you're being true to yourself and that you're making these choices that makes you happy and that makes you feel that you're being fulfilled. But you know what happens here is that love in our society has been twisted into self-love. Now that isn't something new in our society today. Malachi is facing exactly the same attitude already many, many years ago in Israel. They say, God, if you truly love us, then Lord, then you will confirm your love by giving to us the things that we desire and the things that that we want. Well, that's a situation in which God now declares his unchanging love for Israel as his covenant people. But we also need to understand this, that God does not declare his love, that he might ease the troubles that the people of Israel are facing at this time. You can even say this, is that, that, love, that living in God's love can be uncomfortable. Right? God in his love does not just accept whatever we as his people are doing. You know, for, for children, children of parents who truly love them, dad and mom's love at times can be uncomfortable. Right? When they discipline you, when they punish you because you've done something wrong, that isn't always so much fun, is it? Love can be tough. And your parents sometimes can also be tough with you as just children. And yet later on when you grow up, you are grateful for the tough love that dad and mom showed to you as you were growing up. And that's exactly the situation that Israel, is, uh, that Israel faces in their relationship with the Lord their God. God comes to them and he declares his love at the very beginning, his very first word. But then immediately the Lord God goes on and he calls his people to come out of their evil and their sinful way of life. Yes, God's love is unchanging. But God's people often resist the very love of God when we live according to our own sinful pleasures and we follow the desires of our own heart. And so this morning we'll listen to God's word under this theme, God's unchanging love for his covenant people. So we'll look at God's unchanging love for his covenant people. Under that theme, we'll look at three things. First of all, God proclaims his love. Secondly, God proves his love. And thirdly, our response to God's love. Let me just remove this table for a moment. I have the, the sun is reflecting off the table and blinding me. So. so first of all, God proclaims his love. God begins as I have loved you. In English, we might think this means that God loved his people in the past, but that he no longer loves his people anymore in the present. But the Hebrew can also be translated in the present tense, I love you. Meaning that God is simply saying, uh, I, I love you to, uh, today. Sometimes it's hard to be able to translate uh, something into, into another language and convey the, the, the uh, the meaning precisely. Basically what God is saying with these words is this, I have loved you in the past, I have always continued to love you throughout history, and I continue to love you in the present, and I will love you also going into the future. 
Verse 2, God reminds the people that his relationship uh, with them is not one that just started in the present, but God says, no, my relationship with you started already long ago, back in the days of the patriarchs in Genesis. Long before you even became a nation. And so God reminds the people of Israel about Esau and Jacob, the twin brothers. Esau, remember, he was the older of the two, and, and yet God says, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Kind of complexing, isn't it, when you read those words? Many people have stumbled over these words and has caused people difficulty throughout the ages. Why does God love Jacob and why does he hate Esau? And from our human perspective, uh, we immediately, uh, we, we try to rationalize it and we think to ourselves, well, it must be because Jacob was better than Esau. There must have been something about Jacob that attracted the Lord God to him rather than to Esau. And yet when you look at the story of their lives, they realize, yes, Esau was wicked, but Jacob wasn't any better. Jacob has even received the name of being deceiver. The reality is that Jacob is no different from Esau, and Jacob is no different from the rest of humanity. Jacob, too, is worthy of God's eternal rejection. And therefore, when God says that, that he loved Jacob, we need to understand that God is speaking here about his electing love. What God is saying is, I have chosen to show my love to Jacob and not to Esau. And so God chose then to make a, a covenant with Jacob, and he gave his covenant promises to Jacob. And he says to Jacob, Jacob, I will bless you, and I will bless your descendants who are going to come after you. And then if you go f jump forward 400 years after Jacob, and you know that Moses met together with the people of Israel, who are now the descendants of Jacob. And in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 and following, the Lord says, or Moses says to the people of Israel, you understand, the Lord did not set his affection on you, his love on you, and he did not choose you because you were a great nation, but because the Lord loved you and because the Lord kept the oath that he has sworn to your ancestors. When Moses speaks about their ancestors, he's referring back to, Jacob, uh, to Abraham and Jacob. And so Moses also says, God loves you, his has his people, not because you're so great, not because you're such a good and such an upright people and a people who, who, who love God, but he loves you because of his electing love. He's chosen to love you. The Lord also makes that clear later on in the prophecy of Malachi in chapter 3.16 when he says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, you are not destroyed. What God says, he says, because I have chosen to love Jacob and his descendants to which you belong, therefore I, the Lord your God, remain faithful to my promise, and therefore I have not destroyed you, my people Israel. Here, beloved, you see the unconditional character of God's love. God loves his people not because somehow we are worthy of his love. His love for us continues even when God's people become disobedient to him. 
God says, that's the very reason why you, my people, Israel, are not destroyed. The Lord says, my love for you is an unchanging love. And beloved, that is, you can say, it is the very heart of the gospel message also today. God doesn't come to you and me saying, uh, well, my love for you depends on your love for me. Imagine. Imagine if that was the case. Who of us would be able to come to God? Because all of mankind are evil. We're all corrupt. Think about Israel's history in the past. The people of Israel, they were corrupt, and they were just as corrupt as Esau, and just as corrupt as Esau's descendants. And today as God's church, indeed, we, we're told by Paul that we are spiritual descendants of Abraham and of Jacob. And yet, how is that, beloved? Right? None of us, none of us did anything to, to earn God's love or to deserve it. We're all corrupt and we're sinful, just like the rest of mankind. And yet the Lord God, he's the one who comes to us with his gospel and he says, I have loved you. That is what is truly amazing about God's approach towards us. I know there are many who have this idea, many Christians as well, who kind of have approached God in this way. They think of God as, as being an angry God because of our sins and somehow we, we need to appease the anger and the wrath of God so that we may somehow experience his love right it's so easy for us to get into the idea that we must somehow earn the love of God that we need to do something for it when we do something bad when we sin then right we think oh um, God must be so angry with me he doesn't love me anymore beloved that's not how the Lord God approaches us no he comes to us in a different way he comes and he declares his love for us in Christ Jesus Remember when the Lord Jesus came to the world, he didn't come to give his life to us, to, to those who, who deserved it. Paul says, no, he came and he gave his life for those who were enemies of him. And so this is the reality too, beloved, is that God doesn't come to us today. He doesn't come to you to badger you and to serve him. Right? That's the Arminian way of, of understanding how God is working. God, uh, through his word, he's badgering us. He's constantly hammering at our, at our conscience, trying to make us to, uh, to, to, you know, to serve him. And somehow that, uh, that when he badgers us enough that there comes a point where we're going to kind of give in and we'll kindly serve him. That's not how God comes to us. God comes to us and he declares his love to us unconditionally. It is unconditional in the sense that he does not demand that we do anything in order that we might somehow earn his love. What's incredible here is this. It is through his love that the Lord comes and he breaks through. It is God's love through which he breaks through our corrupt and our sinful heart. Right? It is God's love that changes our lives. It's God's love for us that makes us and transforms us into new people. That is the incredible power of God's electing love for his people. He creates for himself a people who now love him and who serve him with their whole heart. And yet, yet we often question God's love. 
Right in, in response to God's declaration of his love, the people asked the Lord God, so how have you loved us, God? Notice the people in Malachi's days, they're not feeling love. They're not feeling the love of God. In fact, what they have is nothing but complaints against the Lord God and for the way the Lord God is, is dealing with them. From their, their own experiences, it seems that, that God doesn't really care about them at all. Remember, it's about 100 years before this uh, that the, the people of Israel uh, returned back from exile and, and the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt and the temple was built, rebuilt within it as well. And so when the temple was rebuilt and, and, and the city was rebuilt, the people expected that now things are going to get better. The crops in the fields will begin to flourish. But no, instead the pests are eating the crops as you'll read later on in this prophecy. They expected that, they're going to come, that they would become rich, but they are still poor. They expected that as a nation they would get their independence again, but they're still being ruled by foreign rulers and nations. So God, you say you loved us, but, but we don't see your love at work in our lives. You know, what happens here, beloved, is that God's people, as God's people, we often become blind to God's love. You can compare it to to children who who complain about their parents' love when they mature and they get older. But parents have have shown them a lifetime of love. They have disciplined them in love. But afterwards, children are blind to their love. And usually they're blind to their love not because because of the expectations they have for what they expect their parents should have done for them. And no doubt there are all kinds of weaknesses that, that you can look back on your, on, your, on your parents and realize that, you know, they weren't perfect. But we lose some sight of the fact that they also often, with all their weaknesses, they still loved us. And we're not able to see that anymore in our hearts. Or you have husbands and wives. Right? There comes a time when we may, may easily take our love for one another for granted. And, and, and in the end, we no longer even see that love exists in our relationships. Any innocent action that might be t- done by one spouse is quickly t- taken as hate by the other. And why does that happen? It's because we no longer love our spouse as we're called to do. Because if you continue to love your spouse, then you will also see the signs of love that your spouse has for you, despite their weaknesses. But if you do not love them, then you will also project your own hate back there on your spouse. I'm not talking here about spouses who are abusive to their their wives or or their, their, their husbands. We're talking about here about normal kinds of relationships. We're sometimes blind to each other's love because we project our own hate back upon them. And that is what is happening here in Israel. God disciplined his people by bringing hardships upon them. He caused the crops to fail in the fields. He caused the people to be poor and to live under foreign rulers. Why did God do that? God wanted to direct his people back again to himself. And so, beloved, the reality is that living under God's love becomes unpleasant when we are no longer responding to the will of the Lord our God. Right? There are indeed, there are difficult consequences when we as God's people no longer live faithfully under the love and care of the Lord. 
remember the people of Israel at this time, they have become unfaithful to God. And because they become unfaithful, they cannot recognize the love of God anymore in their own lives. God in love. He directs his people to come back to him. But the people in turn, they harden their hearts against the very discipline of the Lord. They cannot experience God's love because they no longer love the Lord their God. And it's no different for us today. Right, if you begin to complain about the Lord's treatment, if you begin to make demands from the Lord your God to, to make your earthly life better, if you demand that God takes away your illness, that He removes your suffering and your pain, that He makes things better in, in the relationships that, that are important to you, if you, that's something that you have but complaints against the Lord God and you accuse the Lord God for what is happening, you will become blind to God's love. Why? Why do we become blind to God's love? Because you think that God's love, because you think of God's love in terms of what you expect from God. Right? What happens is now God's love depends on what God is giving to you and what you think you need. And when the Lord God doesn't come through for you, then you can no longer see either his love for you in Christ Jesus. But do you notice what you're doing when you, when you, when you actually do that? You're twisting. You're twisting the concept of love into self-love. What I do is I measure God's love by what God is doing for me. And self-love leads to hatred against God. And it leads towards hatred towards one another and to others. Now God sets out to show the people of Israel that he truly does love them. And how does he do that? He does that by comparing how he's dealt with Jacob's descendants to Esau's descendants. He says, he says, because I have loved, because I have loved Jacob, I have dealt differently with you, you descendants of Jacob, than I did with the descendants of Esau. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says in verse 3, I have turned the mountains of Esau and his people, people referring to Edom, into a wasteland. And left his inheritance to the desert jackals. God says, see how I have hated them, the people of Esau, of Edom. Because of their evil, their wickedness, I have destroyed Edom. But God says, I didn't act that way with you. Right in verse, chapter 3, verse 6, God says, I do, not, I do not change. Therefore, you as the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. See, the point is, Israel is as worthy of the same judgment of God as the people of Edom because of their wickedness and because of their corruption. And yet God says, I brought my judgment. Yes, I brought my judgment upon you, my people, Israel. I did that by sending you into exile. But in my love, I did not destroy you, but I promised that I would again return a remnant to, to, to the land. And I did that. And God says, and I allowed you, my people, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple in the city. In my electing love, I did not destroy you, my people. And today, you can say, because of God's electing love, we have the comfort that the Lord will never, ever allow his church to be destroyed. Oh, God sometimes still lets his judgment be felt when his church becomes unfaithful to him. 
And he lets his judgment, his discipline be felt also in our lives when we become disobedient to him. And just as in Israel, so also today, there are many who who will suffer eternal consequences because of their unfaithfulness to the Lord, their God. But the Lord will not let his church be destroyed because of his electing love for his covenant people. Malachi says, the people of Edom, they may say in verse 4, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But then God goes on and God says, they will build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. So in their arrogance, the people of Edom, they're boasting, and they will boast that they're going to that they will be able to determine their own destiny. But the Lord says, it will never happen. You may try to rebuild Edom, but uh, it will never amount to anything, for only your wickedness will increase, and you will always live under my eternal wrath. And so, the question that we have to ask here is, so has God's love for his covenant people here in Israel, has that now disappeared? Right? There are times that, that God indeed punishes his people. There are times indeed that God's people experience the wrath and the anger of God because of their sin. God may even bring hardships upon his people. He may even uh, cause them to go into exile as he did with Israel. But all these things also reflect on the very love of God. Israel may have been brought to ruin in the exile. But the Lord will allow them to rebuild. And that is only possible because they live under the blessings of the Lord their God. And so as we look at the world today in which we're living, we see that the world, you can really identify them with the spiritual descendants of Edom. While the church are the spiritual descendants of Jacob. The one God loves The other God hates. But something has changed since the days of Malachi. The Lord Jesus came into the world. And when the Lord Jesus came, what did he do? He crushed the powers of darkness through his death and and through his resurrection. And when you go back to the cross, what we need to remember is that there was this great spiritual battle uh, taking place there at the cross between the forces of Edom, which was a which you can identify with King Herod. Right? King Herod was an Edomite, a descendant of Esau. And so uh, King Herod uh, was uh, allied with the powers of darkness. And what did they, they thought they had destroyed Jacob by putting Jesus to death on the cross. But what's the reality? The reality is that the Lord Jesus destroyed the powers of darkness by his resurrection. He is the one who has won the great victory. And yet what you see today in this world is that the people of this world really do not believe that. And even though they have been crushed by the work of the Lord Jesus, yet they boast also today, we're going to rebuild the ruins of our society. Right? You see that also in our, our, our culture today. You know, our, our culture warriors, sometimes we refer, we refer to them here in North America. They see an opportunity in our society to rebuild society into their own image. We see going around us, and sometimes you think the world's going crazy, and it is. 
But what's happening in our society is uh, that race is being pitted over against race, so there's division among races. The criminal element is being uh, protected over against the innocent. The norms of family life and marriage is being destroyed and over over overrun. The idea of sexuality, the nor normality of sexuality and gender is being completely changed and set upside down. And we see all these things happening around us. And oh, we can become so alarmed. And, and rightly so. But we also recognize this, beloved, that society will destroy itself if it continues on in this, in this way. But what we see happening also reflects what the Lord says here. He says, whatever, I, whatever they build, I will demolish. What they build cannot stand because God in the end will not allow it to stand. Yes, they will promote wickedness in the land. They will destroy mankind. And if they continue in this way, they will continue to live under the very wrath of God. And there's a sad reality today that many, many church leaders, many Christians are falling for that evil agenda in our society today. And we know that the church will indeed be impacted to some degree by the corrupt world in which we live. There are many also Christians who are being led astray by the philosophy of the world in which we live. But beloved, the love of God is a love that will never, ever waver. While people may change, the Lord will not change. In the history of the church, you look back and you can say there were dark periods. Periods when we say the church almost seemed to have disappeared, but the Lord Jesus has never, ever forgotten his people. In love, he has always rebuilt the church and he caused it to grow. And so God concludes in verse 5, he says, You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. God is simply saying to his people, Israel says, you will see my greatness. You will see my love for you, my people. And of course, we know that this becomes clearly evident in the life of the Lord Jesus. Malachi, remember, he's the last prophet before Jesus Christ comes. And so the Lord is busy. He's preparing his people, Israel, uh, as they're waiting for the day uh, when his love will finally become clearly visible uh, in the whole land. They will see it in the day that the Messiah, the Savior, comes to Israel. And the Lord Jesus, he, is, he has come, and, and in him the love of God has become clearly visible, not only in Israel, but also for us today. We never need to doubt the very love of our God. God's love for his covenant people, beloved, is an unchanging love. And so the question really is, so how do you respond to this love of God in Christ Jesus? When you read through the rest of the prophecy of Malachi, it's going to become abundantly clear that God is angry with his people because of their sins. Right? They are bringing the rejects in their herds as sacrifices to God. They're being unfaithful in their marriages as they marry pagan women as they divorce their wives. They're withholding their offerings, their tithes to the Lord God. And somehow in their arrogance, they still think that they are serving the Lord. Yes, 
God begins this prophecy with words of love. Beloved, it's not a comfortable love that God speaks about. God's love is like that of a father who, who must admonish his son. And he sits down with his son and he begins the conversation. He says, son, I want you to know that I love you. The son will immediately understand that the conversation will not be a comfortable one. And yet the father wants to make clear that he does not hate his son. But that he has this conversation because he loves his son. He cares for his son. And so, beloved, the Lord wants us to serve him. Not because of his threats, but on account of his love. God does not want people who cower before him in fear. But people who come to him with joy and with gladness. I often say to, to husbands or husbands to, to, to be in the marriage courses is that you don't want your wife to submit to you because she's afraid of you. But you want her to submit to you because she loves you. See, beloved, a relationship that is based on intimidation is no relationship at all. A relationship can only be built on love. And so when God came to his people Israel at Mount Sinai, the people, they saw his holiness and his majesty. And there the Lord God reminds them that he is the one who in his love has delivered them out of Egypt and brought them to this place to be his very own people. And that's why the Lord then also asks his people Israel to serve him out of love according to the commandments that he gives to, to them. And today, beloved, the Lord God comes to you through his son, Jesus Christ. And he reveals to you a love so great that we marvel that Lord Jesus was willing to offer his life for me on the cross. As he did that for me, a sinner. And there on the cross, there he crushed his enemies so that he's able to offer me the life everlasting out of his love. And so the question really is, so how will you and how will I respond to this love of God? Brothers and sisters, is it not your greatest joy to respond to God's love with your love? If God gives his heart to you, then you do not want then do you not want to give your heart to him? Because God first loved us. We now want to love him. And his love, beloved, remember it's an unchanging love. His love for you stands forever and ever. And therefore, praise be to him and glory to him forever. Amen.